With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. And if you've heard me talk about Grammy, you know that she means the world to me. I wanted a dog for probably 10 years and I was living in an apartment, couldn't have dogs. When I finally moved somewhere else, I adopted her within weeks and it was love at first scritch. She's about two feet away from me as I record this. She hangs out in the studio and all I want to do is smooch her and look at her and stare at her. I also like feeding her because I see how happy it makes her. And there's nothing like watching her lick her chops after having yummy stuff like Grammy's pot pie or real Texas beef and sweet potato, which are two recipes she's been enjoying for America. As her parent, I like that they use deboned meat and fish or poultry as the number one ingredient. I also like that they have these real ingredients and you can see them on the bag so you know what's in each one. And watching her do a little dance, especially with a Grammy's pot pie recipe, brings too much joy to my heart. Is there such a thing as too much joy? I'm not sure. But check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Oh, hey, it's that little burp that just congratulated you on taking fish oil. Hey, well done, Allie Ward. Welcome to Smologies. If this is your first Smologies or if you don't know what they're all about, so these are shorter and G-rated, kid-safe, classroom-friendly episodes of our classics. So if you're looking for the full episode, we've linked it in the show notes. But if you're looking for a condensed and all-ages safe one, you've come to the right place. So please enjoy lions and tigers and bears and all the other carnivores out there. What's their deal? What's this ologist's deal? Well, I begged her to be on. She said yes. I freaked out. Then I talked to this California-born genius and media queen. She is an active, working carnivore ecologist. Carnivore coming from the Latin for flesh devouring. And her job involves tromping around grasslands and forests and prairies and jungles, tracking charismatic beasts like she's in a children's book or a fever dream. You can find her on camera, hosting things like Crash Course Zoology on YouTube. She also has her own PBS podcast now called Going Wild. You may have also seen her in the PBS special American Spring Live, where she was cradling tiny baby bears while snowflakes fell softly past her radiant smile and onto, once again, tiny baby bears she was cradling in her arms. So the first question I wanted to ask her was like, are you even a real person? Because you're perfect. So let's just meet her. So get ready for flimflam, hibernation, cuddling, career juggling, plus lions, tigers, and of course bears with explorer, media icon, and my longtime ologist crush who texted back large carnivore ecologist, Dr. Ray Wynn Grant. should say it's finally me honestly (laughs) okay so I have known you as a carnivore ecologist and can you explain exactly what is that and what even is a carnivore because there are carnivores that are omnivores correct Oh, absolutely correct. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. So I am a carnivore ecologist and just break it down. An ecologist is a type of scientist that does ecology. Okay. What's that? 
Ecology is a study of organisms and how they interact with their environment. And then I'm a carnivore ecologist, which means I study carnivores, and essentially those are meat-eating animals. But Allie, to your point, not all carnivores eat meat. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. How does that work? Yeah. So essentially, the reason that we call carnivores carnivores is because of taxonomy. You know, as scientists, we fall back a lot on taxonomic trees and just where we have placed species and our understandings of them compared to each other. And so in taxonomy, we have taxonomic order called carnivora. Mm-hmm. And there's over 280 different species of mammals and carnivores. Okay, so you can just call a vegetarian animal or an omnivore a carnivore? How? Why? So carnivora is an order of mammals, and it's defined by these animals that have super sharp teeth and typically very long claws and uh, a ferocity, like they're these kind of ferocious animals that are able to hunt and kill, and they all have digestive enzymes or basically like a gut microbiome that is able to process meat. And therein, I think, lies the clincher because it doesn't mean that a carnivore has to eat meat, right? They don't have to, but they could if they did. Oh, and okay. So they have the microbiome, but also the enzymes to support the microbiome that can break down meat. Yep. Yep. And so this is like, this can be surprising if you take something like, you know, and I'm probably going to talk about bears a lot here, but Mm -hmm. if you take something like a panda, right, which is one of the eight bear species, it eats bamboo all day, but it's in the order carnivora. And it has the teeth, it has the claws, and it has the microbiome to process meat. So it looks like, you know, the ancestors of the pandas we have today probably at the least ate insects. Like at the very least, they probably like grabbed a whole bunch of grubs or larvae or something and chowed down on them. But Mm -hmm. at the most, maybe they did more than that. You know, maybe they hunted prey and really ate meat. They still could technically if they wanted to. Well, which carnivores are true carnivores that eat 100% proteins and other living animals? And then which ones are more generalist or omnivore? Or does it really yeah. depend on kind of like their their proximity to, to urbanization? Sometimes it depends. You know, we do have what we call obligate carnivores. And those are a lot of our favorites. You know, those are the lions, the wolves, the tigers. Oh my! Those animals hunt fresh prey and eat raw meat. They're not going to stroll through a berry (laughs) patch and, you know, and chow down very much. So we do have those obligate carnivores, but even take polar bears, for example, they hunt, they eat meat, and that is what they need to survive all the time. For those animals, their ecologies are slightly different than other carnivores because they are so driven by having to hunt. That's really how their whole lives are structured are around 
finding prey, finding prey, finding prey, and maybe stashing food. You know, take a mountain lion, for example. If it does kill maybe a deer and it eats as much as it can, it'll also find a place to cache that prey for later so it can come back to it often enough. Like up in a tree? Or- like up in a tree <laughs> or some kind of, you know, hidden place because they have to expend so much energy just to get their prey, just to get their food. They don't have this dietary breadth that the omnivorous carnivores do. And so then the omnivores are a lot of different bear species. We find like coyote and raccoon and possum, you know, some of these mesopredators are able to definitely eat meat, but they could also scarf down a good root vegetable, tuber, you know, they love fruit, sometimes even grasses, honey, all those kinds of things also fuel them. And they're more concerned with getting fat. And so they're like, whatever will get me fat. It might be protein, you know, but it might also be carbs. <laughs> and so we're like, whatever will make me fat is what they can eat. And then they have a wider dietary breadth. And that means that they can survive in many different types of landscapes. When it comes to studying this, you know, what was it about carnivore ecology that really got you? Oh, gosh. You know, when I was a kid, I got hooked on nature shows. And in particular, what stood out to me was scientists in the jungles of Asia studying tigers. And to this day, Allie, I, I still have never seen a tiger. I've never <laughs> been to, you know, tropical Asia. I've I've never I've never done it. But it was something about tigers. It was just something about seeing tigers on the TV, learning that they were endangered, learning that they were also, you know, powerful and capable and just these supreme beings, you know, the largest cats and just just incredibly impressive. And it's not just because they're cool and impressive and as a society, you know, we're really interested in them. But also, you know, many large carnivores are ecosystem engineers, right? Like them being at the top of what we call food chains really makes a difference. And the conservation of these animals makes a huge difference for healthy, vibrant, balanced ecosystems. And I'm like 16 years into studying the environment. I do it today both because I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think these animals are awesome and cool and make for great stories and all that. But also because I know that starting from the top is very, very purposeful. Mm-hmm. And keeping these animals around in these ecosystems is is worth it and it's needed. You've, you've been on PBS. We've oh, gotten yeah. to see you crawling around in the snow <laughs> in a bear den and holding, cradling a baby bear with permits oh, wow. for science. Hi, so... This is uh, one animal, one cub. Got a scrapper. This is number two. I'm get, I'm get. Okay. And again, we just have to see exactly how many cubs are here with the mother. It's at least two. It could be three. I know. It is just so special. Well, I don't want to burst everyone's bubble here, but they are so not cuddly. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I mean, let me tell you, it makes for a great little picture. But I have these like permanent scars on my chest because their claws are just like razor sharp. You know, it's one of those things like you see a picture of a little bear cub in my coat. Again, let me be clear. The snuggling part is because these cubs are so little that they cannot thermoregulate. 
yet. They can't create their own body heat. And Mm -hmm. so ethically, if we are going to do checkups on their little bodies, we have to give them body heat. So for the few minutes that they're away from their mother, it's our job to to hold them tight and keep them warm. So that's why they're in our coats. It it is adorable, but it's also, again, it's purposeful. It's part of the science. No one needs to go out trying to cuddle wild bear cubs. Please do not. Please do not. So Dr. Wingrant splits her time as a media host and personality and a straight-up field biologist. What is a carnivore ecologist's job like? A day in the life for me is, is really different each day. So I have an active research project. I'm super proud of it. It's really cool. Um, I am studying a population of black bears and mountain lions at a nature preserve on the central coast of California. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of reason to believe that this population of bears and lions has very unique feeding behavior. Tell me more. And what I'm hinting at is that mm-hmm. I, I think these bears and mountain lions access the coast. So they live in this beautiful oak woodland forest, quite inland. Mm-hmm. But it looks like fairly frequently they make their way onto the beach. And eat food from the beach. And we are finding, you know, the skeletons of seals and different pinnipeds far into the oak woodland forest that mountain lions have hauled in there. And we are finding black bear tracks on the beaches every morning. And so there's a lot of questions trying to figure out, you know, are these mountain lions? Are these bears? relying on marine animals for their food. And if so, is that a new behavior? Are they doing that because there's a lack of food resources elsewhere, because human pressures have forced them into this point? Or is this actually what bears and mountain lions have always been doing in this Mm. region, and it's not documented? P.S. I looked this up. I had to. And just to set the scene, this is a 25,000-acre parcel of land north of Santa Barbara. That's more than twice the acreage of Manhattan, people. It's very large. That is eight miles of California coast. It's home to about a dozen endangered species. So imagine tide pools in the shadow of rocky cliffs, which give way to rolling golden grassland. There's chaparral and scrub brush, century-old oaks and pines, all mostly unaltered from evolution. So that's the work she does, tracking lions and bears, maybe not tigers yet, but oh boy, howdy, what a job. So them's the what's, but let's talk why's. If we have a forest, a lot of times we think like, okay, well, forests are important for bears. And that is true, but a bear isn't going to use every square inch of a forest. There's going to be some areas that it uses all the time, maybe because it has the food it needs or the shelter it needs, and then some areas that it's going to avoid completely. It's really important to understand those differences and those patterns so that we can figure out where to put our efforts in protecting certain landscapes. Well, people obviously adore you. They're very excited you're on. You're too kind. Can I lob some questions from listeners? Oh my gosh, yes, please. Okay, your hot burning questions. But first, we like to take money and stuff it in people's pockets. And Dr. Ray Wingrant chose this week's donation to go to the Texas-based nonprofit blackoutside.org. And that donation was made possible by award-approved sponsors. 
I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm going to tell you my secret favorite candy. It's Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate, salty peanut butter, the textures. I love everything about them. Also that there's two. So I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I love you. That's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold. And I am. Oh, it's heating up. It's time to say bye now to your jackets and your sweaters and your tights and get reacquainted with shorts and tees, breezy things. Can I point you to the direction of Quince? What I love about Quince, you can build a lineup of timeless pieces. They keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year without spending a fortune. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts. They start at $30. They have washable silk tops. And I love that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands because they partner directly with top factories. They cut out the cost of the middleman and then they pass the savings on to you. So whether you need a sundress you can wear to a picnic or you need some good t-shirts or tanks that feel nice on your skin and are well-made, head over to Quince. I love them so much I put them on my body. That's what clothes are for. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash ologies for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies. Well, this guest is just a ray of sunshine and we all win when she grants us answers to your questions. Ray Wynn Grant, Patreon questions. Let's go. Great question. A lot of people asked. I'm looking at Yasmin Shelley, Batman Flight, Ali V, Lauren Cooper, They want to know, in Lauren Cooper's words, why does their poop smell like rotten death? Why so stinky? (laughs) Is it stinky to all animals? Wow. Oh, my goodness. And this is carnivores in general? Yeah. Carnivores in general. As a carnivore ecologist, I'm sure you've been around your share of wild dookie. Why is carnivore? Is it just because rotten meat? Because rabbit poop isn't something that you're like, oh, my God, I stepped in rabbit poop. I'm burning my shoes, you know? Right, right, right. You know, it's just so funny because, honestly, poop is a big part of my life, Um, you know, (laughs) as a carnivore ecologist, a big part of my carnivore ecology life. You know, I interact with poop all the time. In fact, if you like were to open my freezer right now, I have bear poop in my freezer from a friend's yard where a bear came to visit. And I, you know, anyway, so, so it's a great question. And I would almost push back and say, like, have you ever smelled horse poop or, you know, bison poop? Herbivores can have some stinky poop too. But I am not disagreeing. Okay. Carnivore poop smells yucky. And, yeah, it's like it's flesh, right? It's the waste mm-hmm. <laughs> that comes out of digested flesh. So it's it's gross. And also because some carnivores are, like we've been saying, omnivores, that sometimes this variety <laughs> of foods creates more of a stinkier poo. Mm. With that said, I have to say the poop that I interact with the most with is bear poop and it it dries pretty fast so i i will say you know like when i come across carnivore poop it's usually like not fresh from the animal (laughs) and so it's usually dry and when it's dry it doesn't smell that bad but the bears that you know when it's feeding time for salmon that's is particularly fragrant and Mm. it is particularly unpleasant because these bears just 
go through salmon so fast and it's almost like it's almost like diarrhea you know it's not like loose gross just kind of bleh, black tarry poop oh, very important information to share i don't want to get too graphic on your show Allie, no but it's this like, is important it's like this is important information yourself. yeah i mean who knew but right. they also mm-hmm. don't they have a hibernation plug oh my gosh hibernation is just so fascinating and totally wild because yes speaking of poop bears don't poop while they hibernate and some bears hibernate for a couple months but some bears hibernate for like six months and they don't poop they recycle their own waste within their bodies and their metabolism just really just shuts all the way down so they're not eating but also like any waste just recycles itself in their bodies and that is just like this superpower that bears have that we just all need to bow down to because it's amazing We have so many great, so many great questions. Um, Chloe, first time question asker, wants to know about carnivores. What exactly do their levels of cognition reach? Like what kind of thoughts, Mm. emotions, situations are they fully capable of processing? Most of them are what we as humans consider smart. And bears in particular have one of the largest brain to body size ratios of any land mammal. So they are, they are particularly like considered like some of the smartest carnivores because they have these huge brains compared to their body size and then take others take wolves we have these ideas that we got domesticated dogs from wolves because there was a learning process right when wolves would interact with humans over time some wolves that took certain types of risks with their interactions with humans got certain types of rewards and if they repeated that over and over they became closely tied to humans and eventually were able to evolve into domesticated dogs so we have this idea that you know large carnivores and again this is very general are making decisions And a lot of the decisions they're making are fueled by instinct and their instincts are usually pointed towards food, right? So they're like driven by hunger for sure. What could be more important than a little something to eat? But what I think has been super interesting, especially when I used to study lions, African lions in parts of East Africa, is that if you have a carnivore, like a lion that is not hungry, Studying its behavior when it's not hungry is really interesting because they all of a sudden become way less dangerous, you know, way less protective of territory, very, very lazy, almost kind of giving this easy life. So they're able to make choices, especially when their needs are met. They're able to think and make choices and really kind of impress us. A few patrons, including Allie Vessels and... Paul Cirillo and Charlotte Felkegaard both asked essentially, do carnivores have taste buds? Like, can a lion think, ooh, this gazelle today tasted really bad? Do they have like a certain like craving for certain types of animals or foods? Oh, my gosh. You know, I was really hoping that someone would not ask a question that I don't know the answer to. (laughs) But here I am. Like, I don't know if they have taste buds. I kind of want to say yes. Honestly, because I can imagine like now I'm thinking about all the times I've watched carnivores eat things. I can imagine Mm -hmm. that a carnivore might take a bite of something and be like, oh, oh, my God, that's bad. That might happen if something is rotten. But I think more than this is going to be my cop out to the question. I think more than taste buds, most of the large carnivores of the world have an incredible sense of smell. 
Mm. I mean, a really amazing sense of smell. And as people, we know that smell is very, very closely associated with taste. Scientists have been trying to study how far away a a bear can smell something, and we haven't been able to nail down how far because they can just always smell stuff. I mean, some scientists estimate up to five miles away a bear could smell like someone making a barbecue. Oh, my God. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. I can't smell it if I'm a block away, but imagine, (laughs) you know, many miles. So I would say it's probably more smell. If I'm right, that does really influence what they do eat because they they won't eat everything. You know, they won't eat something that's rotten that will make them sick. It probably smells or maybe tastes a little bit wrong. So Dr. Wynne Grant was totally right. Carnivores have taste buds, just fewer of them as smell is much more important in finding lunch or dinner. Also, Dr. Gary Bochamp, who is a Pennsylvania scientist, found that domesticated and wild cats don't have much of a preference for sweet foods, likely because some carnivores like cats and sea lions and fur seals and harbor seals can see the pinnipedology episode for more on them. And spotted hyenas have mutations on the TAS1R2 gene, which codes for sweet taste receptors. So they're like, "Eh, I can't really taste it. I don't really care. Don't really like sweet. That's what a lot of carnivores are doing. I'm good. Thanks. What about, I mean, this is going to be so hard, but your favorite thing about your job? Oh, gosh. Um... Yeah, my favorite thing is that I get to physically challenge myself a lot. And and I guess I guess maybe mentally challenge myself too. So and those things are tied in together because I have to say, you know, I have to hike a lot for work Mm -hmm. just to get places in the field. And hiking is hard, you know, and going through that, not for fun, but for work, there's there's always a benefit at the end, you know, I never finish a hike and think to myself, like, I wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> you know, I I almost always finish a hike and say to myself like, "Oh, look at me. Like I yeah. just did a hard thing." And it's and it's very personal. A lot of the times I'm by myself, you know, no one saw me do it. But I really love that my actual job offers that to me often enough. And so I get to have these moments with myself where I transform or I push through something that is just challenging enough that I get in touch with myself in a way that um, that I really appreciate. And I really love that. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. And it's such a good reminder, too, to get out in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Well, thank you for being such an inspiration to future bear cuddlers, to people <laughs> who have decided to not cuddle bears and just get a rescue poodle instead. <laughs> Even more cuddly. Just saying. <laughs> This has been such an honor. You are amazing. This is just it's just a, oh. such a highlight for me. I really appreciate it. So oh much. my gosh. I was like, oh, today I'm talking to Dr. Gwen Grant. And I was like, do I put on lipstick? It doesn't even matter. She's not going to see me. I'm just excited. So yeah, this has been a big deal. So ask smart people, not smart questions, because how else are you going to learn weird stuff? Now, to find out more about this delightful person, you can see raywingrant.com. You can follow her at raywingrant on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Ologies on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Allie Ward with one L on both. Also linked is alliward.com slash smologies, which has dozens more kids safe and shorter episodes that you can blaze through. And thank you, Mercedes Maitland of Maitland Audio for editing those. And since we like to keep things small around here, the rest of the credits are in the show notes. And at the end of the episode, I give you a piece of advice. And this week, it's that, you know, when you have an alarm to wake you up because you got to be somewhere, right? 
Another good idea is to have a gentle alarm at night that tells you, hey, it's time to get ready for bed. Maybe 15 minutes before you want to be lights out, go brush your teeth, get in your jammies, read a little bit, but this way you won't let it get it away from you. So even though a lot of kiddos have bedtimes they don't like, let me tell you, as an adult, it's still the best because you got to make sure that you get that eight or so or maybe 10 or whatever hours of sleep so that you have a good day tomorrow. So a little gentle reminder that like, hey, it's time to get ready for bed gives you kind of an on-ramp into Sleepyville. I hope that helps. Adults, that's for you too. Okay, bye-bye. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.